Ванной шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И при виде их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB podcast. In each episode, we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support the podcast, Go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sean's Russia blog or to srbpodcast.org and hit that Patreon button and join the table of ranks. Longtime listeners might know that every semester or so, I put together a few non-narrated profiles of affiliated faculty with Reese at the University of Pittsburgh. This is a way for our faculty to talk about their research interests and teaching and to give some visibility to the work they do. This profile is with Anna Sekulich, who is the UCIS postdoctoral fellow in Russian, East European, and Eurasian studies beginning this fall and through 2023. Anna is a historian of the early modern Ottoman world and Southeastern Europe, and her research examines the history of interreligious relations, the cultural history of the, cultural history of the environment, as well as the history of ar- as well as the history of the archive. She's currently revising her manuscript, Conversion of the Landscape, Environment and Religious Politics in an Early Modern Ottoman Town, for a future publication. So how did that community that split into two over the course of the 17th century, you know, what did it mean to be a Muslim and what did it mean to be a Catholic? My name is Anna Sekulic. I'm a historian of the Ottoman Empire and Southeastern Europe. My work so far has focused mainly on the history of pre-modern Bosnia and Herzegovina. Actually, my work has been clustered around a number of themes. So I'm interested in the history of the Catholic Church under the Ottoman rule, on Muslim-Christian relations, on cultural history of the environment, and I've also spent a lot of time thinking about archives. As I think happens to a lot of academics, uh, there's always something kind of personal, something from your own history that 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 I feel like we all are trying to answer. So that that was definitely a case for me. I grew up in Croatia. You know, I come from a from a mixed marriage. My father's an Orthodox Serb. My mother's a, a Croat Croatian. So you know, growing up in such family in 1990s and early 2000s in Croatia, kind of thinking about religion and belonging and politics, kind of identities, kind of clustering around religion was something that was definitely always on my mind in one way or another. I think I like to put it down to three things. I feel like I'm all about Balkans, religion and environment. That's what I can always talk about. So so, so that's kind of a personal layer that I always kind of carry with me. And But sometimes things just end up being luck. I came across, it was a publication that just basically listed out a lot of documents that were, uh, uh, that were housed in this like one monastery. And it turned out it's the monastery that I ended up writing my dissertation on, Monastery of Holy Spirit, Franciscan place in the small town 
in Bosnia. And it turned out this kind of, you know, obscure place, but it's such a, it, it's such a, I don't even know how to call it. Like it, it, it's such a kind of touchstone for history of, of, of that region. And I, I contacted two monasteries that so they would never reply to emails. I was trying to find whether somebody uh, had any contacts, but nothing really worked. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to kind of fly over to Bosnia, plan to stay there for a year, and I'll show up and knock on the door. It, it's not that it wasn't like a bit tense, and they definitely were like, you know, what are you doing here? What do you really need? Like, wh- why are you coming here, right? But but they were superbly welcoming. And, you know, the more we kind of got to know each other, you know, they, they were willing to kind of show me more things. It was just a fantastic experience. It's also, there's also always, of course, tension. They, you know, they are a Catholic space and they know that they're kind of housing that Ottoman collection. You know, they know that they're sitting on something really valuable, but they're also very protective of their own history and the narrative of of their own past. So I think, you know, there was definitely a bit of suspicion and I had to kind of navigate. Oh, yeah, I just want to kind of see the Ottoman documents. Oh, can I see also a little bit of this? Oh, maybe I can see that other box too. And they would always give me everything I asked for. But there was, yeah, there, there, it was a kind of a, uh, a bit of, a, I don't know, a delicate dance there. But I'm also interested in kind of cultural history of the environment. So, so how not only the kind of physical aspects of environment, how environment itself changes, but how does the, the, the you know, environment itself trickles in into some kind of cultural imaginaries and how we think about the world and how the Ottoman conquest and then conversion to Islam that followed in the 16th and 17th centuries in Bosnia how did it find expression in the environment? The environment itself uh, woven into the whole fabric of different narratives for each community, the memories of how they fit into that place, how they relate to each other, into rituals differently. So one metaphor or like, you know, that, that I increasingly think about is, you know, having a video game or, or having you know, a group of people or two group of people in a room and they're going to now play a video game and they're, they're physically there in the same room. But then they kind of split into two groups and they put those goggles. Each group, then they're standing next to each other, but they have kind of this different program through which they're perceiving the world. And that is pretty much, it's not only religion, but religion definitely uh, informs all of those other interactions that are material, economic, environmental. What, is, what does conversion mean? When we're always talking co- about conversion, but what does that mean, right? And it's not only the that conversion has an effect for people that that converted and that became Muslims, but it profoundly affects those that didn't and that worked hard to not to convert. Of all the regions in the Ottoman Empire, I think Bosnia witnessed the biggest conversion to Islam. And I think later came Albania. So, so, so we have some roughly half of the population became Muslim. So we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about a small community. And we're also uh, not talking about a marginalized community because being a Muslim in the Ottoman Empire was definitely the most privileged position to be in. So it's really the Catholics that are kind of completely pushed aside. And what I'm doing then is seeing how they're trying to catch up and not really just kind of stay there and like wait for something to them to happen. As for the Ottoman Empire, I mean, that is crucial because it, it provides this 
parameters, this kind of framework of how things are going to be. I mean, Christians are still people that are subordinate to Muslims, right? And it just kind of shapes the relationships in certain ways, but it's also then looking at how each of the communities is actually using different language, different forums, a different kind of imperial vocabularies to, in a way, even subvert some of these, you know, imperial narratives to their own end. So there's always this play between the local and the imperial. Something I always talk about, like literally always, is the fact that when it comes to the Ottoman archive, the Ottoman documents, the Franciscans, most of the time, they could never really read the Ottoman documents. So most likely when they would actually receive at whatever point they would receive the document, whether from the court or from some authority, they would kind of jot down on the back their different script in, in Bosnia and the, until the um, early 19th century, the UC Cyrillic. They would kind of jot down what this was about. And sometimes to, over, over the course of centuries, as, as they would go back to the document and use it in some way, they kind of kept adding scripts and stuff. So that's a whole other narrative and whole other afterlife of that document. Essentially, this accruing dynamics that I always try to listen and to to pay attention to space, to different voices that always are embedded in it. And yeah, so archive for me definitely isn't just, you know, a piece of information on, on a page. If I can, I always look for more because I think there's always more to be figured out from there. I actually love to think and experiment of how to actually bring archive and it's going to multiple, you know, relevances to the students in the classroom. I love to, and I've done this a couple of times when I was TAing in some of the classes at Princeton. You know, I just bring documents and I just kind of give it to the students. They, they work in groups and I'm like, just make something out of it. Like, what can we just do with this piece of paper without you reading anything and obviously having some knowledge in the class or like, I don't know, we would have talked maybe about a legal system or we would have talked about intercommunal life or something. And, and there's so much that students get just by looking at that particular outline. Where is the signature? Where is the name of the Sultan? Is there a lot of space used on a paper or is it very squeezed or like which one is wasting space and which one is not? So, so there's so much on the technology of writing, you know, how the kind of social and political hierarchies get imprinted on a paper that you can, you know, spend two minutes with it and you will also get it. So that's always a great exercise. I wish, like this kind of a, a wish class, like, you know, <laughs> I don't know, is uh, I've had that kind of idea. It kind of came, came to me a couple of times over several years, but, you know, just kind of having a course on how just material objects, just structure our everyday life and structured history and how we think about anything. So like we're kind of looking at certain object and materiality to tell larger cultural history. And I mean, there's, I think, so much potential there. And I'm your host, Sean Gillery, and this is the SRB podcast. As you know, the podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you like this podcast, please share it on social media, tell your friends to listen. You can also drop us a line on Facebook and Twitter and on the SRB podcast website to let us know what you think of the episodes. And as always, if you do like the SRB podcast, we'd love to have your support. The SRB podcast is a nonprofit educational endeavor. It relies on support of individuals and educational institutions to keep it completely free. 
So please help us keep it that way. So go to srbpodcast.org and join the SRB Table of Ranks. And as always, I want to thank those who've already done that, my high excellencies, high wellborns, and noblenesses for your continued support. Until next time, bye.